Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And Daphne is away on maternity leave still. Still, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's she's doing something super tough and doing it in the heat. Um, but we wanted to keep these episodes coming. Today, we talked to Dr. Emily Seisler, who is Carmen's eye doctor and has helped her out with her amblyopia. And she is so smart and has all sorts of great advice for us about how to take care of our children's eyes. Screening is extremely important. That's something that I learned. What Carmen has is something that is fixable. And had I not picked up on it, we would not be on this route to fixing it. And, you know, that that's something that young eyes can get better, whereas older eyes, as we all know, generally go in the other direction. So I think that you're going to absolutely love to hear what Dr. Seisler has to say. Look, we as parents are the first line of defense. We're always sort of watching and monitoring our kids. And, and don't don't discount it. Don't feel like you can't raise an issue or ask your pediatrician for a referral to a specialist or or go deeper if you feel like something's off um, because it makes you feel empowered to find people exactly like you just said who not only are able to give you a real answer to what you know is sort of there, but you don't really know what's going on, but also provide you with solutions that make it so, you know, in, in all likelihood, she'll never have to deal with anything as she gets older because you'll have been able to correct it at a young age where her eyes are still so plastic and able to adapt to the therapy. Um, I love that. I think that that's, I, I think it's the kind of thing that gives you so much relief and comfort as a parent to know that um, that great specialists like that exist. Yay! Will you please introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Emily Seisler. I'm a physician. I'm a pediatric ophthalmologist uh, in Manhattan. Um, I have two offices on the Upper West Side and in Tribeca, and I teach uh, at NYU, and I do my surgeries at NYU. Um, I, I am a mom. I'm actually, a mom has probably been my most important job in life, um, although I love, love, love what I do. My kids are 19 and 21. They're both in college. So now I'm an empty nester and that's a whole nother oh topic of conversation. <laughs> but um, but my kids are awesome. And um, so um, my, my daughter, Carmen, started, um, she was probably like, I don't know, almost two. She started doing this thing where she was like blinking a lot and squinting and doing like a little bit of like head tilting and stuff like that. And we didn't know what to what to make out of it. It was it was kind of we didn't know if she was being funny. We didn't know if it was like a tick. You know, I brought her to a doctor, um, uh, not our normal doctor. We were we were vacationing somewhere, and he said, you know, she just has a tick. She'll she'll probably do this, and she'll outgrow it. Um, you know, maybe one day she'll yeah. outgrow yeah. it, or she'll just we have this tick this. forever. Yep. Um, and you know, I I got connected with Dr. Seisler, and and that was not the, um, that was not the situation at all. Um, so I, I think we went one time and we weren't sure, right? You well, said to me, I maybe she's just doing that. The first time I saw her, um, you brought her in for exactly that reason. Yeah. And obviously there are tons of things that little kids do and sometimes they mean something, sometimes they don't. So that's why obviously it's always good to get it checked out because often it's nothing and you can kind of just pass it by and, and say, nope, it's nothing. And I'm not actually even sure that that was something right. related to 
the eye problem that she ended up having um, because at that age, you know, they, they do do a lot of these funny things that can sometimes really not It's be also meaningful. hard to communicate with them when they're so little. And that was kind of what was amazing by watching you. It's like, how do you ask a kid that doesn't know the alphabet yet? You know, how do you get them to communicate to you if what what they're seeing? Um, and so what are what are some for like very early um, toddler years, if you feel like, you know, your kid needs to get their their eyes checked out? Number one, what are what are red flags? What should we be looking for? And number two, what is your process as a doctor trying <laughs> to communicate with these little people? Yep. 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 Well, so a lot of red flags are really going to be put there by your pediatrician um, because when kids are little, obviously, particularly infants, they don't have a lot of ways of communicating. And there's a lot of things that are important to pick up early, but that as a mom, you might not see. And so your pediatrician is at each well visit looking for specific things. I mean, I think our pediatricians are so amazing because we ask them to do so much and look for so much and pick up all these things. And you know what? Most kids are fine and there's nothing. But then sometimes there is and we need them to find that. And then they're going to send you to a specialist. Um, as a mom, you got to just trust your mom instinct because there are plenty of – so on the on the contrary to what I just said, um, there are plenty of times when moms come in and they say, I – keep asking my pediatrician. My pediatrician thinks everything's fine, but I feel like there's something wrong. And you'd be amazed how often oh, no, there is something wrong. And moms know, and you got to trust them. And that's one of the things I teach my residents and medical students is listen to moms. If you're a pediatric subspecialist, you really, really, really have to trust moms. And yeah, we're all particularly first-time moms. There's a lot of crazy thoughts that go through our head and a lot of irrational things that that we may say or do or, you know, notice in our kids that are nothing. Um, and at the same time, you really have to listen because if a mom is concerned about something, you got to listen to that concern. It may be nothing, but it's worth checking out. So we do see that. Now, part two of your question, how do we examine kids and check their vision when they're little? Um, so first of all, again, I have a big bias because I'm a pediatric subspecialist that Kids are not just little adults, and they need to be seen differently and treated differently. Um, you know, as you know, in my office, we really only do kids, and we do adult eye muscle problems, but we really are pretty biased with um, everything is for kids. So our waiting room is kid-friendly, and our staff is kid-friendly, and they're really trained and trained and trained beyond um, to be great with kids and great with moms because Half the battle to get the information is making kids feel comfortable and happy and enjoy it. And so we try and make everything a game and fun. It has to be age appropriate. Um, different ages demand different things. But if it's fun and they feel like they're playing games, so many times kids will come in and they're so nervous. They're really scared about what's going to happen. Um, and if they walk out like skipping and saying, I want to come back, we've done our job because all of that is just to get the information in an adult. You just ask them to do it and they right. do it. It's totally different with kids and every age is different. But you know what? Once you've been doing this for a long time, you get good at different ages and stages and, and doing what you need to do to get the information. But, um, you know, with Carmen, uh, even though at the time, I think the concerns that she had raised for you 
um, may or may not have ultimately been related to what she ended up having, it got you in to have a full exam. And the full exam is where we get all the information. So once we know that, I think I probably said to you, um, right now, we don't really have to worry about this. She's fine. But she is something that's a risk factor for amblyopia, which is some people call that a lazy eye. Yeah. Um, And most people have never heard the word amblyopia. They may have heard lazy eye. One of the reasons lazy eye is a tough word in kind of the world is that people use it for different things. So some people use lazy eye, meaning the eye crosses or wanders. I had had an uncle that his eye would cross in. He had one eye that would cross in or couldn't look at you. Yep. And I thought that that was lazy eye until I met you and Karma had lazy eye. Right. So the reality is lazy eye doesn't really mean it, it's not it's not a medical term. Right? right. So it means whatever people use it to mean. So people use it for both. Um, and in fact, I think in the world, most people use it more for what you're talking about with your uncle. Like and the real word for that is strabismus. Um, and strabismus is any kind of eye muscle problem where the eye turns in or out, whereas amblyopia it, which is what Carmen has, is when the eye looks perfectly normal, it's perfectly straight, um, but the brain isn't using uh, one of the eyes, or sometimes both of the eyes, but more often one, um, as well as it should. The brain is not getting that visual information and therefore not developing normal, healthy vision, which is so important in children. And that's what I found to be so interesting. I mean, not only do I want my daughter to to see well, but that idea that she had one eye that was working just fine and one eye that wasn't working just fine, and that you tend to compensate, obviously, to the eye that is stronger. Yeah. And, you know, what you taught me is that it's important, especially as you are growing, to have your brain be communicating properly with both eyes so that we need to not just adjust the eye so that it can be seeing better, but also for brain development. 100%. So amblyopia and, and other things, but amblyopia probably the number one thing is the reason that we think, we know, that vision screening and looking early, early, early for vision problems in children is so important because um, brain development in children for vision starts at birth um, and goes until the age of 10, a little bit more up till probably 13 in some kids. But those first few years are critical and actually it's called the critical period of vision development in the brain. Um, And if you don't intervene early like that, you could detect it later, but there's nothing you can do. So you've sort of lost the game. So that's why it's so, so important to find it early when it's completely treatable and you can, you know, fix it basically. And what you're fixing is in the brain. You don't realize it, but um, when you treat amblyopia, um, you are literally making changes in the brain. Like this research won the Nobel Prize in the 1960s. It's fascinating. But um, at the bottom line is, Many people, you know, I'm a lot older than you, but certainly this was not checked for when I was a kid. This no, was not I, a routine I wasn't thing. Checked for it, and yeah. I think I would have been better off now. Yeah, and and you know what, things were missed. Lots of things were missed, and so lots of parents um, were not treated. They have one eye that sees well and one eye that doesn't see well, and that's unfixable at that point. And it's so unfortunate. So it's so great that we now have a much bigger push toward checking early, getting kids seen, getting kids treated um, when we can intervene and make that difference and really equalize the vision and get the brain using the eyes as they should be. 
And that's one of the things that I have been so amazed with as well, um, going on this journey with Carmen. So basically just to, to, to include all of you guys. So Carmen was diagnosed probably about a year ago with amblyopia. So she has got one eye that works really well and one eye that struggles more. So she uses the good, the, her good eye more. So she wears glasses and on one uh, side of the glasses, it's just, you know, it's just glass that you, anyone could see through it. Um, and then the other one is corrective. And, um, so we, we wore glasses for a while and, and her vision was improving, you know, so then we take the glasses off and, and she would go in for, you know, routine examinations and, you know, we would see her progress. And then, um, Dr. Seisler said to me, you know, if you want, you could patch and, um, you don't have to at this point. Why don't we, we could see in three months how, how, uh, her vision's improving. But if you want to be really aggressive about it, why don't you patch for, for three months we did it. Mm-hmm. And we, I decided, um, the type A personality that I am, that we were going to patch. Yep. Yep. And it was, it was a, a struggle at the beginning a little bit. You know, I, Carmen was a little bit nervous. She had a lot of questions about it. She said, um, you know, mommy, I don't want people to see me with the patch. And we only had to patch for two hours. Mm -hmm. So we usually did one hour in the morning and one hour in the evening, but we're super consistent about it. And that's one of the things that you told me is that if if you're not going to do it every day, don't, don't do, do it. it at all yep, because absolutely. what's the point? It's also going to give us false information. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're, when you come back for, did you patch or did you not patch? Did right. you patch sometimes? Yep. And so we're not going to know if you're going to do it, really do it so that we can conclusively say it helped or it didn't right. help. Exactly. Um, and um, and in those, so so basically I we started with this sticker that, that a lot of people use and, and Carmen really hated it. Um, even though we tried with like, there's like special little like posters uh, you know, posters and reward exactly and, rewards yeah. all this different kind of thing she really didn't like it because it was irritating her her eye um and i would try putting like cream underneath and then i found this patch that just slides over the glasses this like a little you know patch and she had to be really good and not peek because sometimes the kids will peek yep, with that patch exactly um and again watching her for two hours is not the same as having a child who's patching right. all day long yep. so i definitely realized that we had a leg up in terms of that um but it was amazing because i would i had a pair of glasses that just had the patch on all mm-hmm. the time and you put it over the the good eye correct so that the eye that struggles can basically go to the gym yeah. and do its exercises. Exactly. Yep. Um, and in the morning she would wear it for an hour before school mm-hmm. and then she'd wear it for an hour around dinner time. Yep. And it really became very manageable. And what was amazing is we returned for our visit and Carmen didn't have to patch anymore. Yep. And what was amazing is you were so positive about it. And Carmen left, as you said, she left beaming, you know, and exactly what you, how you want your patient's sleep. Yeah. She was so proud of herself. Yeah. And it was such a, uh, you know, a sense of I made my body better yeah. by doing the yeah. work, doing my homework. Yeah. Um, and what's also amazing about it is how much the body can change in three months oh, if yeah. you just take care of yeah. it. And, pre- and young is better. So again, I, I, all of that is so important, I think, for parents to hear. And as you know, you and I have discussed in the office, um, sometimes these things are not easy. And at the beginning, patching can be really challenging. And even just two hours a day, which a lot of things that we patch for, two hours is enough, at least initially, to see if it works. Um, It's less common to need to do all-day patching. That is something we do occasionally, but uh, and and certainly more challenging. But um, at the same time, a lot of it depends on parents. Mm-hmm. And I 
would say that you as a mother were so awesome and I see all kinds in my office and um, it's hard as a mother to be told that your child needs to do something they don't want to do. And, and that there's something wrong with your child. And that there's something wrong with your child. Absolutely. And that's, you know, all of us, you know, our children are perfect to us. It doesn't yeah. matter what they have. But, you know, we also want to do what's best for them. And sometimes it's hard as a parent to understand and be willing to to do what has to be done. And, and you're exactly right. So I don't give a lot of parents the choice of patching or no patching. But I did sort of give it to you because Carmen had improved so I'm going to back up for one second. So amblyopia, again, we talked about this before, but is when the brain isn't using usually one eye. The most common reason is what Carmen has, and that's called anisometropia, which is a big medical word you don't have to think about. But basically, it means an asymmetry in the prescription between the two eyes. So people say, well, I don't wear glasses. I don't have a prescription. When I say prescription, it's called refractive error, and it's really just what your prescription would be if mm -hmm. you wore glasses. So think of it that way. So if your two eyes have different prescriptions, then whichever eye is easier to see with, um, it, which is the, usually the lower prescription eye, will see fine. And the brain says, it's a smart brain. It's a child's brain. It's developing. It wants to see. It says, well, this one's easy. I see everything. That one, that one's hard. I can't see everything so well. I'm going to ignore it. And so the brain literally does make those changes neuronally in the ocular dominance columns, giving over all the information to the one eye, and it stops using the other eye. And again, there's a huge range of this. Amblyopia can be very mild, where the vision's 20, 30, 20, 40, 20, 25, or it can be very severe where they can't see the big E on the chart. With the, um, with the worst eye. And there are other reasons for amblyopia. You can have eye muscle problems like we were talking about before. The eyes cross or wander and that can cause the brain to shut the eye off because it can't use the eyes together. You can have a cataract. You can have a droopy lid. There are other reasons that, that children can have amblyopia. But what we're talking about in Carmen is by far the most common and the hardest to detect without looking for it because a child like this has perfectly straight eyes. They walk around. They see everything. People will say to me all the time when I diagnose this, they say, but she picks up the tiniest things off the ground. She sees tiny airplanes in the air. I don't understand how there's a problem with her vision. Well, with both eyes open, we all use our better eye. So whichever eye is better, they see fine. They do everything fine. But uh, you don't know that when you cover that good eye, that that weaker eye isn't really working and could be really, really badly impacted. So in a case where the prescription is different, the first treatment is glasses. And that's what we did with Carmen. We gave her glasses. And what the glasses did was it equalized the prescription, not the vision. And this is where it gets so confusing to people because they're like, well, you put the glasses on, shouldn't the vision be equal now? And yes, if there's no amblyopia, then the vision's equal. You put the glasses on, each eye sees well, you're great. And if that's the case, and in fact, to back up to Carmen's first visit when she had the tilting and the squinting, she had the asymmetry in the prescription, but no asymmetry in vision at that point, which is why I didn't treat her proactively then. So what then. does that mean? So she had a higher prescription in one eye than the other. Right. But when I put that prescription up for her, she saw equally. Got it. So her vision was still perfect. Her brain had not turned off the weaker, the higher prescription eye. It was still using it just as much as it was using the other eye, which is why glasses weren't necessary. So then we say that asymmetry is a risk factor 
for developing amblyopia. Some kids will, some kids won't. The more severe and asymmetric the prescription is, the higher the risk. The younger the child, the higher the risk. There's certain things that would put you a little more high or low risk. But that is in a family. And this, you know, I practice in Manhattan, in middle of New York City. And um, I have a lot of very motivated parents and families and um, people who are going to come back in a year when I tell them to come back in a year um, to recheck that again. If you practice in the middle of nowhere, um, Mm -hmm. and there are plenty of rural areas in this country um, where there's not the kind of access to medical care and specialists that we have and we're so blessed to have in in Manhattan, then you might practice differently. And you know what? I I operate and do um, my teaching at NYU, and I teach the residents there, and Bellevue um, and whatever other hospitals, but Bellevue is kind of the big city hospital that we teach at. Um, And there's a different patient population. And sometimes you do have to be a little more proactive where if you're concerned about follow-up, you know, is this patient going to be able to come back? You might do things a little bit differently. But if the vision's equal, we'd like to say, okay, you're good. We need to watch this because this could develop into a problem, but right now we don't need to treat it. And that's where Carmen was the first time I saw her. So then when you came back um, and it was no long, she still had the asymmetry. So that was still there. And we expect that to still be there. But now it was starting to cause a problem with vision where one eye was 20-20 and the other, I think she was like 20-30, 20-40. Not terrible, but not perfect. And if we left it alone, her brain would continue to use her good eye, ignore her other eye, and that vision would get worse and worse over time. Um, So then we say, we don't want to watch this anymore. This needs to be treated. Glasses are number one. We equalize the image. We give the brain time. So that was why I probably had to come back in three or four months. Come back. Let's see where the vision is. Now, sometimes the vision will correct all the way to 2020 just by correcting that optical image for the brain. Um, And in Carmen's case, it improved dramatically but not 100%. And that's when we had the patch conversation. So a lot of kids improve not so dramatically. And then the patch is not negotiable. Um, Although there are other methods. So we didn't talk about this because this wasn't an issue for her. But um, sometimes patching is either not possible or um, we're looking for other options. And there's something called atropine, which is an eye drop um, that can be used and put in by the parents into, again, the good eye. So what it does is it blurs the vision in the good eye. So it doesn't completely cover it the way the patch does, but it blurs it. Um, and that, again, makes the brain say, oh, okay, now that one's blurry. Let me use the previously bad eye or the amblyopic eye. And so it switches over, and then the brain uses the amblyopic eye. The vision gets better in that eye, and eventually we stop the drops. Um, so... Some parents love the idea of the drops because then they don't have to have a whole negotiation about the patch. Um, But that must also be a fight as well. Yeah, yeah, it can be. But then it's a quick fight and it's one drop once a day (laughs) in one eye. (laughs) So we will sometimes even put them in at night. I will say it works for 24 hours. You can put it in after they're asleep. You know, go put your kid to sleep at 8 o'clock. When you're ready to go to sleep at, who knows, as a a mom, (laughs) 10, 11, whenever, Go in, sneak one drop in one eye. If your kid's a super light sleeper and you walk in, it's not going to work. <laughs> but there are plenty of kids. My kids, I could have done it. Um, Garmin, Garmin sleeps out. like a rock. Yeah. All three of my boys are, you know, they literally, you you like make any kind of like creak and they're like, what? What happened? <laughs> right. Exactly. Every kid is different. So you can in, in some kids and then others you just can't. Um, but that can really work 
well. And some parents are really hesitant about putting something in their kid's yeah, eye. It's an eye drop. It's a medicine. Um, but some would prefer it. And some kids prefer it also. It depends on the age. You know, patching when it's two hours a day at home, not such a big deal. Patching at school, a much bigger deal. Um, although I did, I had a kid who came in with such severe amblyopia, he literally could not see the E on the eye chart. And he was on the older side. He wasn't old, but obviously he'd rather pick this up at age two, three, four, five. And he was, I think, about seven or eight years old. And so the difference was dramatic. And in order to get as much improvement as quickly as we could, um, we ended up doing what's called full-time patching. So full-time is most of the day. We say not every hour, they get an hour off theoretically. Um, but he wore the patch all day, every day in school. And then you really, again, you need parents who are going to embrace it and understand why it's important. And kids take so many cues from their parents. And if you're okay with it as a parent, which again, I would say in, in Carmen's case, you were on board. And when I said, eh, this is a choice, she is not a kid who has to patch, but it will make things better quicker. So if you want to do it, we can do it. If you want, we can just wait and keep the going with the glasses and see where we go. And you said, no, no, I want to be proactive. Let's do it. And we did. But you knew as a mom, like, this was important. I mean, you have to prioritize things that are medical the for soon, your kids. The sooner you do it, and that, and that's what I learned from you, is the sooner you do it, the benefits are, are, are better. better. And, you know, if you have the option to do that, and again, she's at that age where she was, you know, she brought it up a few times, mommy, I don't, I don't want to wear my patch at school. Or sometimes she would go to school with her glasses and she'd forget to take it off. She said that one time somebody laughed at her and when she arrived at class and stuff like that. And then the teacher obviously sits them all down and they're five. So yeah. if it's not yeah. as much as like yeah. if you are eight and kids yeah. can be cruel. Kids. But she also has cool. a, a couple friends um, in, I think, different classes and not in her actual class that have to patch all day. She has some friends in her mm -hmm. class that have to patch, yeah. but at home. Yeah. Um, but they, they would have to patch all day. And and I feel like it made her more compassionate. I mean, I think she's a it very does. compassionate person. Yeah. But when kids have to struggle a little bit. Yeah. And also, it's a great lesson of like, hey, look, I did this when I was five and I made myself better. I exactly. mean, again, she was so proud of herself when she left. Um, and yeah. now she's just happy to put her glasses on and, and, right. and not the have to think about it. The ownership over that is amazing. And teachers are really important. Yes. Um, because the right teacher in a classroom who's going to talk about it in the right way can make the whole attitude of the classroom shift. The boy I was talking about who had to wear the patch all day, months later, probably nine months later, he was still wearing the patch. And um, I saw someone who turned out to be one of his classmates. I didn't know that at the time. And she had a completely different problem. She had a, a wandering eye. So her eye would drift off to the side, which is called exotropia. And so she also had to wear the patch kind of to to make her eye, make her brain use that eye and straighten her eyes, not so much for vision because her vision was good. And she was so excited. And I said, no, no, it's only two hours a day. You can do it at home. She's like, no, no, I want to wear it in school. Turned out she was in the same class as this little boy. And he was such a rock star in the class. And the teacher had made it such a positive thing that she was thrilled to be wearing the, the patch in class, which is, again, a gift to children. You know, the age... Um, between four and three quarters and five is when children first learn to discriminate differences between themselves and other people. So younger than that, we as adults think that they're going to 
feel bad about it or other kids are going to say things. The kids other thing, the things other kids are saying at that age are more just for interest. They're like, oh, do you have a boo-boo on your eye? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it looks like a Band-Aid often. Mm-hmm. But there's no judgment. There's no negativity to that. After five is when they start to kind of say, oh, you're different than me. And I don't like that because you're different than me. So that. before that, it's less of an issue. And then afterwards, it becomes more of an issue. Oh, that's so interesting. I mean, I have to say that with with Carmen, I mean, I would put photos of her on on Instagram with, with the patch on sometimes. And I, would, I wouldn't even address it half the time. Or yeah. maybe I addressed it one time, but people miss it. And, and the amount of, you know, adults concerned yeah. what uh, is she okay did she yeah. get poked in the eye did she like well, yeah. what's yeah. going on is she it's sick? much more adult we're sending well wishes based. you yeah. know this whole thing or <laughs> or is she pretending to be a pirate today yeah. i would get that yes one a yes, lot. yes yes because she i mean obviously she's a little kid she likes to, to wear costumes yeah but um but yeah no it is it, it was adults who were who were very concerned about it and you know i mean i would Every once in a while, address and say, "No, nope, she's yeah. totally fine, and she only has to do this for a little bit." Yeah. And and which and it's I think it's a public service when you know a mom like you who is being looked at by other people is not saying this is something to be ashamed of, but this is something that is not a big deal in our life, and we're doing it to make things better, and it's important, and this is what we do. No big deal. My daughter, who's now nineteen, <laughs> in college. <laughs> When she was about Carmen's age, actually a little bit younger, had to wear a patch for a time. And I would take her out. I would take her to Barnes & Noble, to Storytime, to whatever. And constantly people would stop you. And, you know, why does she wear it? What's the matter? Mm -hmm. You know, kids, but but adults. And you also get everybody's stories. Um, I people will stop you in the grocery store aisle and say, I had to wear a patch. Isn't that amazing (laughs) how many people had to patch and how many people patch their kids and then and again they don't want to tell anybody about right. it. Right. It's like a secret. Exactly. Like why should that be a secret? And it's so silly. Yeah. And again, I think you are absolutely right that the more that we can get this out there, the more people can get help. I mean, you guys can try it at home um as you were talking a few minutes ago. If you close one eye and then you close the other eye, you do you can see how different your prescription is in yeah. each eye even though together the eyes you're sort of making sense yeah. out of the world. And these are our windows into the world and it's Sort of our yeah. connection of what we see for and and how our brain is um, interpreting that information. Now, what are some other? Com- we talked about amblyopia. What are some other common things? You know, if you if you don't feel like your child has a has an issue with vision, um, should should children's eyes be checked? Excellent question. So, the American Academy of Pediatrics, American Academy of Pediatric Ophthalmology and Ophthalmology, have um, kind of position papers based on research on this. And the the basic answer is children should be screened for vision problems in what we call their medical home, which is generally their pediatrician or family practice doctor. And that screening takes different forms at different ages. So again, in a newborn vision, not vision, but the eyes are going to be screened looking for the red reflex, even in a newborn before they leave the hospital, because it's really critical to make sure that's normal before baby goes home. Um, And then at every well child visit, they're going to be checked, um, have an eye check of some kind, again, different in a two-month-old than a seven-year-old for sure. But if they um, are found to have any kind of abnormality, any screening abnormality, then they should be sent to a specialist, um, you know, ideally a pediatric ophthalmologist, and have a full eye exam to see if there's a problem. Um, 
And then again, if if there's a family history of certain things, if the child has a medical history of certain things that predispose to certain eye problems, they should be checked anyway, even if nobody sees a problem. If you have Down syndrome, if you have a if a baby is premature, they're predisposed to certain eye problems. Um, certainly, um, a family history of certain types of eye problems that are inherited is worth being checked um, at different ages. Um, so, a lot of it is based on the pediatrician, you know, kind of your your um, child's doctor. But um, as there are lots of other reasons to get your eyes, kids' eyes checked. Um, and it's easy to do. And it's very, it's always better to check and know that there's nothing wrong rather than um, assume that everything's okay and then find out later on that it's not. Um, and again, going back to the idea that the sooner that you address the problem, the more change yeah. that you can make. I mean, I wish that I had better eye care when I was younger because I probably would be able to, I mean, I, I don't wear glasses. Typically mm-hmm. I wear glasses. I should wear glasses to read. I feel like, <laughs> okay, the iPhone for, for us, yes. for adults, how bad, and for our kids, yeah. screen time. Just are, we just, are we just frying our eyes all the time? So another excellent question that we largely don't know the answer to because screens have not been around long enough to really, really know. Um, there are screen, sorry, there are screen time recommendations for children. Um, we used to say no screen time at all under two. And that has been changed because as long as a child's interacting on a screen, so even under 18 months, it's okay if they are FaceTiming with grandparents, you know, where it's kind of that facial recognition and interaction. It's not just them zoned out looking it's at a screen. It's also completely difficult. I mean, obviously we were very good with that with our first, but then by the time our oh, fourth yeah. one rolls oh, around yeah. and you have your <laughs> two, right. they don't get to watch Sesame Street anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like they are just going to do everything early. A hundred percent. And you know what? Um, you have many more children than me, but I will tell you as the mother of two children, the younger one does a lot of things way before they should, and they still come out just fine. We we do a lot of things with our first children that we, I think, learn from. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but the first child is the first child, and that's it's how very, it is. Very protected. Yes. And then after yes. that, we're like, yeah. okay, you're fine. You're going exactly. to be okay. Exactly. So we want to limit screen time, but there's no real evidence um, that it causes harm. We do find in older kids who've developed myopia, which is nearsightedness, that um, there are two things. Uh, There's so many old wives tales out there, right, where your parents said, don't read in the dark Mm -hmm. or, you know, don't wear your glasses all the time. It'll make your eyes worse. All these kinds of things. Most of them are not proven. Um, The two things that are proven are uh, outdoor time is good. So sun is actually great for slowing down the progress of nearsightedness in kids. Um, Get your kids outside and let them play. Um, And number two is taking little breaks when you're on either a screen or just doing intense near work, reading a book, um, even playing Legos every 20 to 25 minutes, like a one-minute break would be great. Just get up, stretch, tell the child to spin around, look out the window, and go back to what they're doing. It's not that they can't, but it's that intense, intense, long periods of near work that probably So what about like sunglasses? I'll see like some parents, I'm, I'm not like this with my kids because I can't do the battle of like trying to put sunglasses right. and battles that are not worth, no, not worth not it. worth having. But I mean, are, are we damaging? You say that sun, sunlight is good for our kids' eyes, but bright, bright, bright sunlight, right. should we be putting sunglasses right. on them? So sunlight is good more for just slowing down the progress of myopia, but sun exposure over your lifetime has a negative effect. So yes, I would say be out in the sun, but sunglasses are good. And again, 
it's not a battle I would have. I would encourage sunglasses and I would sell, tell parents that cheap sunglasses are fine. Don't go spend a lot of right. money on sunglasses. As long as it has a UV sticker on it, um, that's perfectly fine. They can be from Old Navy and cost two ninety nine. Right. Um, that way, when your two year old throws them out of the stroller and they get crunched you on don't the street, cry too much. <laughs> it's not so bad because you can have six more pairs. Yeah. Um, but sunglasses should be encouraged. Some kids will refuse to wear them. Forget about it. It's not worth it. Um, if they will, great. Um, you know, over your lifetime, more sun exposure can lead to old person eye diseases like cataracts, macular degeneration, things like that. But encourage, but don't go crazy. What about headaches? So that uh, that's a fear. I mean, I, I obviously I have a lot of kids, but they're all very little. Mm-hmm. So I am still a relatively new parent. Yeah. yeah. Um, even though I've done a lot during those years. Yes. <laughs> but um, I, you know, anytime one of my kids tells me that, which is really rare, that he or she has a headache, mm-hmm. it freaks me out. Yes. Because, you know, obviously they're like, okay, parents you know, I'm go right go to, to the, yeah. I'm going to go to cancer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Brain cancer done. Yes. Um, for, for headaches, I mean, that, that's the other, with Carmen and going through her, her vision, her vision journey, um, I'll, I'll say to her, you know, I've, did you not wear your glasses a lot today? Or did you, you know, maybe use did, that. Exactly. Yeah. Stuff like that. Even and I, I have noticed that it can, it does. Yeah, affect it me. can. It can. So little kids complaining about headaches, it's sort of hard to know what to make of that. They hear us say words like headache right. and they don't really know what that means. So, you know, headaches in an older child, particularly new onset headaches associated with nausea and vomiting would be more concerning. Headaches that wake you up in the middle of the night are more concerning. Um, You know, most headaches obviously are totally benign and um, they can have to do with eyes and vision for sure, which is why if a child is getting headaches, they'll often be sent by the pediatrician to the eye doctor Mm -hmm. as a kind of first visit because not only can we look for eye problems, but I would say every mom and including me, when their child has headaches, 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 you're your first thought is, oh my God, my child has a brain tumor. Um, And we can look in during a completely routine exam at the optic nerve, which is inside the eye and is part of the brain. And the optic nerve will not 100% of the time, but most of the time show swelling um, if there is, God forbid, a brain tumor and the pressure in the brain is high. So that gets transmitted to the optic nerve and can be seen at a routine eye exam. So, um, you know, a little... I have a headache here or there, not a big deal. If you're hearing a lot of consistent um, complaints, I would start with your pediatrician. Again, there's lots of causes for headaches, but um, often you'll end up, your child will end up with an eye exam if if that keeps going. Um, more concerning, obviously, in in certain situations than others. Um, that's good to know. That'll, that'll make me yeah. feel better. It has to be like much more dramatic than yes. I'm saying. I'll ask them like, you know, I'll give them some water and, and then I'll bring it up at another time. And they're like, wait, what are you talking about? Right. Like, exactly. Gotcha. Then you know it's nothing. Just trying to scare exactly. me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And hydration and sleep are important. Now I have three other kids who aren't, you know, exhibiting any kind of eye issues. Is it overkill for me to have them come and see you because their sister has, has no, an eye issue? not overkill. Okay. So that's when we were talking about like, why would you bring your kid to the eye doctor? One of the reasons is family history. So if you have a sibling um, with amblyopia or some other eye problem that has a genetic component, your other kids should be seen and not just screened because screenings are great, but right. they're not perfect. Right. And there are what are called false positives and false negatives. So we wouldn't want a child to fall through the cracks. 
um, and pass a screening and end up having the problem and we didn't detect it. Right. Um, so I would say for a child showing no signs of anything else, but who is a sibling, um, somewhere between three and four, you know, when they're old enough to be a little verbal and cooperative, um, yeah, yeah is, is a good time to check them. And certainly, as you know, at any age, even a newborn can be have a full eye exam um, to look for things. So it's not, people shouldn't hesitate to take their child to the eye doctor at any age if they have a concern. You don't want to miss those There's also things. nothing cuter than those little kids that are wearing glasses. Like the babies <laughs> wearing glasses. I couldn't agree with you more. So although cute. I've had many moms burst into tears in my office when I tell them their two-year-old has to wear glasses. You know, and I have to say that, you know, if you are are experiencing your, either concern that your child needs glasses or you're very fearful of it or maybe your child just got glasses, like Carmen got, and you gave me this advice, Carmen got so excited mm -hmm. to get a pair of glasses. Yeah. And we went to the store yep. and she got to pick out exactly the ones that she wanted to. And we got her two pairs so they could go with different outfits. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you also told me as rewards, you know, if it's a special day or she did something really good, you know, we can go and get another pair of glasses. So now she has, you know, a handful of different glasses. Um, and, and she loves them, you know, and she'll say, okay, yeah, it's a today accessory. I want to wear my yeah. sparkle ones. Today I'm wearing my pink ones. Today brown ones because I'm being very serious. Yes. Yes. Um, so she's, yeah, it is a, it is kind of, if you make it positive. Yes. It your makes child, such a difference. And you know, if somebody's going to give them, them trouble at school, Go there, go there, talk to the teacher, Absolutely. talk to the other parents, because this is a really, you know, as we talk about bullying, as we get, as we get older, um, you know, a lot of times it's, it's other kids not understanding the situation and everybody coming together. It makes the class stronger. I think when a child comes into the classroom with something that's different, yep. Yep. um, and it can be a great learning, um, a great yeah. learning opportunity. And along those lines, um, you can go to the library or Barnes and Noble there are lots of great kids' books with kids going to the eye doctor or getting glasses mm -hmm. or whatever. And I think partly that can be really helpful with your child and other children. Um, but also it has made having glasses much more normalized in mm -hmm. our society now. And so, so many, we are picking things up earlier. So many more kids wear glasses and have glasses. And, and it's now they have therefore more manufacturers in their cute glasses and they're fun. And so we literally are something I called nine-year-old girl syndrome, which is the other name for the syndrome is my friend has purple glasses. And there are kids who come in. I'm not singling out nine-year-old girls, but I sort of am. And they come in pretending they can't see because they want to get they glasses glass. like their friends. One of Carmen's friends started wearing glasses that have nothing in them. Yep. She's younger. She's yep. like two years yeah. younger. And, and Carmen is friends with her older sister, but they're yep. all like a little like yep. group. Um, and she started wearing glasses and wanting her mom to send me photos of her wearing the glasses. <laughs> and Carmen was like so happy. She's like, look, she wants to be like me. She exactly. looks up to me. And, and that's yeah. an awesome thing. I got her dolls that had glasses. I yep. got her American, American Girl, Girl doll, doll mm -hmm. has a glasses um, one. Yeah, There's different sort of like, I think Barbie has, has glasses, but there's like Barbie-like dolls also that that have glasses. So, I mean, the more that you make it a good thing, you know, Alec and I would wear our glasses more. So he wears glasses to see far and mm -hmm. I should, although I'm very, very, <laughs> very bad at it, have wear glasses to read. Um, and so we would start, you know, yep. wearing them more. Yep. That, and she at the beginning wanted the me beginning. to wear my reading glasses to see far, like and just like, at, I and I was like, see. I really, really can't do this. <laughs> yeah. This is not, this this is gonna is not get working for me. Um, but yeah, yeah, that is a good thing as a parent. Like when your child is starting to wear glasses, 
you wear your glasses, even if you're not a glasses wearer, wear your sunglasses, you know, show them that this is a good thing. And kids completely, they they listen to what you say, but more importantly, they watch what you do. Yes. And um, that is where they take their cues from. So, and, and it's new for at the beginning and it might be traumatic for a little while and then it just becomes just part of them. It just yeah, becomes not a part of deal. them. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I really hope that you guys have the takeaways are get your child checked, um, whether you feel like they have a problem or if you're just curious um, and then know that the sooner you do it, the better. These are things that I've noticed less than a year and already her vision has improved dramatically. Dramatically. Yeah. And that just tells you, um, you know, what youth really, really is incredible. Um, and, you know, and we talk about that Carmen might not need glasses forever. Yep. She might need glasses. You, I think you said to me somewhere between 10 and 13. Yep. And she might age. stop wearing glasses. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, and she's very focused on that as well. Of like, okay, that's another milestone. Yeah. Yep. Um, and she's going to enjoy them for now. And she doesn't have to wear them all the time. She wears them most of the time. Yep. But, you know, if she wants to go in the pool, she yep. can take them off. Exactly. Or, you know, go horseback riding, she takes them mm-hmm. off different different moments. So it really is something that is manageable in the end. And yep. that was, I wish I had known that when I got that first thing, which I, I, I did, if I'm honest, I cried. Yeah. I went home and I cried. You would, again, really be in the majority. I mean, it may not be in my office, right. but I was it's very exciting. brave, and I had like little tears. I was like, okay. Yes. Yes. Well, anytime you hear that your child is is going to struggle in in any way, even if it isn't you know completely yeah. traumatic, which I don't think with Carmen it was traumatic, but it was definitely like okay. Yeah. And now it's a we're moment. going, and it yeah. was a moment. But you know, now she's she's so cute with her little glasses, yeah. and and she's very fun. Now here we ask. Uh, what your favorite thing is? So for little kids, my favorite glasses are, Miraflex are great because they're literally indestructible. They're made of plastic and you could step on them and they will not break. Um, Zubug um, I've heard of them makes, uh, is a newer yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, maker, yeah, yeah, yeah. also indestructible. The colors and frames are a little more fun and the way they make the sides Um they fit better on the face. Um, there aren't a lot of choices for little kids, um, but Zubug is terrific. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. Mom, play. All right, guys, that was Dr. Emily Seisler. Isn't she amazing? I feel like when we were younger, we weren't thinking about our eye health as much. And I feel like now I'm seeing more and more kids with glasses, more and more kids patching, all these different mm-hmm. things. And it is really important to get your kids' eyes checked. Um, but definitely, I am going to bring all of my kids to get actual eye doctor screenings just because this window of time is so important. Um, and it takes an hour and then you're done. And now it's time for our favorite things. Time for our favorite things. Oh, yeah. So my favorite thing, I am going to talk about something that kind of has to do with your eyes, but doesn't have to do with your actual eyeballs. And it's called the Tinkle Eyebrow Razor. So I'm somebody who my... I'm. I'm lucky in the fact that I don't have to really shape my eyebrows too much. Um, shape, not shave. Shape my eyebrows too much. So recently I microbladed my my eyebrows and I absolutely love it. Um, and I am somebody that I have like a tiny, like one hair here, one hair here. Um, and I find that this razor, I know it's it's something that other people use as well, but this razor is really, really good if you don't want to be 
plucking and doing that kind of thing. And it just cleans it up very nicely. Um, so I highly recommend it. And they come in a pack of six from Amazon. It's it's a really nice find. So I'm going to change it up on you a little bit this week. I feel like, um, look, you, I will always give you all the goods on products and everything. But this, I will tell you, is the thing that I keep coming back to at this particular juncture. And it's a recipe. Not something to buy, I guess I guess ingredients, but um, not something to buy, but something to be inspired by. Um, healthy vegan Twix bars. Yes, you heard it here. <laughs> okay. okay, so this popped up um, for me, I, I, I want I'm assuming on Instagram. Um, it's from a website called Alpha Foodie. This person's recipe looks so divine, and they basically um, use almond flour and arrowroot powder and coconut oil and um, rice syrup, but you could probably use I – mean, rice syrup is nice and sticky, You could, but you could definitely find some replacements for that too if you can't find it at your local store, um, and vanilla to make the cookie bar. And then they use almond butter and dates and vanilla and salt for the caramel layer. And it's one of those things – and there's also a chocolate coating with raw cacao powder and coconut oil – and look, you can make swaps in there for things that are easier to find around your house that you may already have. But I just love – and it's not to say this is health food, but I just love the idea of exposing both my kids and myself to treats that are still made from whole foods that are still – look, I think your body – over the course of all of our human evolution has learned how to access nutri nutrients from from whole foods. Like it knows what to do with sugar that comes from dates in a way that it doesn't know what to do with sugar that is artificial. It knows what to do with calories that come from you know, nut flours or or whatever in a way that it doesn't know what to do with calories that come from really refined, overly glutenized grains. So it's I just the I am always looking for ways, and that's not to say I rule out the real stuff because I because I definitely, you know, indulge when I need to, but I'm always looking for ways to get that indulgent note in uh in like a healthier, cleaner, more whole foods way. And this recipe just you know, get 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 your get your Tongue off your phone. Stop licking the screen because it just looks so good. <laughs> and I like that the tagline is because you deserve to eat like a king. Yes, I do. Yes, I really do. So healthy vegan Twix bars. Give those a try sometime this week. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Tell all of your girlfriends. Email us all of your thoughts and questions and hopes and desires mombrainpod at gmail.com we get some pretty wild emails and there's no judgments ever so just keep them coming um, and then you know check us out on Instagram YouTube and keep listening see you next week see you next Wednesday bye bye guys this is Mombrain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz Mombrain is a Gallery Media Group original production <laughs>